The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and joined by our senior pun evaluator, Zach O. How you doing, Zach? How you doing, Hat? That was a good one. Yeah. You did your homework from last week. Yes. That, very proud of you. Thank you very much. That was given to me by a uh, by friend and listener, Lucky, uh, who is just helping me out, preparing ahead of time. Um, and I also got to sleep in today, so thank you for that. That's why I'm, I'm ahead, because uh, we're recording a little bit later, thanks to the leaf blowers outside my window. Uh, so, before we get started, just a reminder... Definitely uh, check out the podcast in your podcast client. Uh, give us a subscription and uh, leave a review. It really helps other people find the show. And definitely check us out on Twitter at Vicious Syndicate uh, or at Vicious HS. Now, the next report is on the 31st. However, for some baseless speculation, uh, they have announced on the Hearthstone Twitter that there will be a Battlegrounds rating reset next week. Ixar has previously stated that the Battlegrounds ratings reset will come in patch 18.4. So we don't know if this is that patch, uh, but there's a possibility that there is a major patch next week, and major patches usually come with card balance adjustments. So it remains to be seen if that will happen. If it does, of course, a report will be delayed. So be aware of that. Uh, there, We should still be doing the podcast, uh, but the report may be delayed, but we'll see. I guarantee you there will not be a report on September 31st because there are no 31 days on September hat. Okay, but on October 1st, <laughs> yes, that's a good point. There is no September 31st. So Yeah, so report on October 1st in case there are no balance changes. In case there are, then the next report will be on October 8th. However, there will be a podcast next week if there are balance changes in which we will discuss the early patch impressions. But that is only in the case when there are balance changes. Yeah. Well, we will talk either way, but we may or may not write it down. That's the short version. Basically. All right. So, speaking of reports, well, 174 is out. We should dive right in. And for better or worse, the most popular class is Druid. Mm. Yep, so the first thing we have to talk about uh, regarding to Report 174 is how balanced the meta is. And once again, uh, we're at the stage when there are no Tier 1 decks at Top Legend, which is indicative of the player base being capable of countering whatever becomes more popular on the day on, on that week. And there is no deck that's really oppressive, that's causing issues, that's limiting other uh, archetypes from seeing play and seeing success. But there is one class, the Druid class, which seems to be very versatile, very difficult to target, right? We talked about in the report that all classes seem to be accounted for. They can be kept in check by some certain strategies that can counter them. But Druid might be the most resilient class to these kinds of targeting. And uh, we see in Guardian Druid an archetype that is split to 
different variants. They all have the same common shell of overgrowth into guardian animals, but they're very versatile. Uh, you can use Druid to target specific matchups. You can use Druid to play a deck that's just well-rounded against pretty much everything. and doesn't have a lot of, if at all, bad matchups. Maybe some soft counters at best. Um, Druid is good. Druid is versatile. Uh, the three lists that we had in the report, in the previous report, 173, pretty much what I would take to ladder uh, this week as well. They're just really strong. Seem to be correct pretty much card for card. Uh, could change one or two cards perhaps, but I would take into this kind of diverse meta, I would take these uh, lists and do very well with them. Uh, we talked about the forest list pretty much is the deck you want to play if you're kind of not having, you don't have a sense of something that's uh, that's happening in the meta and you just want to do well against everything. Then there's the Malgus build that's a little bit more targeted to the slower matchups where you have the inevitable combo, very good against uh, Priest, very good against Warrior, uh, pretty good against Mage as well. Then you have the exotic build that's more... Uh, targeting the faster matchups, a lot better against Paladin, better against Hunter, um, pretty much anything that's tempo-oriented and wants to seize initiative. Uh, Exotic Druid does well, also excels in the mirror. Uh, we talked about that last week. There are no big news uh, regarding Druid. It's the most popular class at Top Legend, largely because it's just a safe choice. It's a deck that, even though the power level isn't particularly high and the win rate isn't high it's very reliable it's kind of a deck you can it's a class you can take to ladder and not hit bad matchups and that's kind of valuable in this diverse meta where you see a lot of everything then a lot of people prefer the the deck that's like resilient and uh less vulnerable to like just bad qrng right you can take other decks to ladder and then hit your bad matchups multiple times and that kind of feels bad so a lot of players just avoid that and run druid yeah it's what i have found in my experience playing druid uh i not in a heroic tavern brawl because i gotta save money for packs but on ladder people say they have a plan for druid and then you play a, a turn two twilight runner or a turn four guardian animals or whatever and then they just don't really have a plan uh and maybe they can clear you but they often cannot deal with the Yasera portals you know, the deck is, it has some pretty linear early lines, but it has some capability of uh, of scaling with uh, with play skill and experience. And Animated Broomstick in that deck as well is really powerful. It's pretty hard to take board against them. I mean, the reason why Druid doesn't really have that bad matchups is because a good Druid draw can be unstoppable in any matchup, right? Uh, you can play the good deck against it, but if they run overgrowth into guardian animals, you're you're gonna have a bad time, and it's uh, it's difficult to come back from that. Though it is possible, definitely don't concede to the druid nuts because sometimes you know they play guardian animals and they don't really have the best follow up, or they don't uh, pull a twilight runner, and it's still winnable. Uh, I've won plenty of games where they had the nuts, but I'm saying that if they have the nuts then they're obviously very difficult to beat regardless of what matchup they end up uh, queuing into. Uh, so Druid is, as I said, very resilient and that kind of lends to the high popularity that it 
as throughout ladder, but especially at top legend. Yeah, uh, and have you seen any? Well, I guess it's kind of hard for us to differentiate in the data, but uh, is there any reason to run the Malikos build right now? Uh, yeah, I mean the Malikos build is good against Warrior. It's it's good against Mage, uh, because of like it kind of bypasses the freezes. It's very good against Turtle Mage. It's the deck you want to run against Turtle Mage. Uh, and it's generally good in slower matchups like Priest. It definitely has its merits. I would say it's slightly weaker now because Priest isn't that popular anymore. And Bomb Warrior also declined. So we do mention in the report that Malago's build looks slightly inferior to the other variants. But definitely don't count this deck out, this particular build. Especially like in Conquest. Uh, I can definitely see it being the correct druid to bring if you expect a lot of mage priest and uh, you're looking to like, I don't know, ban the mirror, for example, or ban, you can even ban warrior and still bring Malago's druid and still does a good job. So uh, it's definitely a deck that has its merits and it can be better depending on you know the situation, the meta. So we still feature in the report because it has its uses. But if you just want a good all-around druid deck that's not situational, not conditional, then the forest build is what I would recommend. To just take the ladder and jam games. You will rarely feel like you have no chance in a matchup. Sometimes the druid, you know, doesn't draw well. Sometimes you draw three beasts in your opening hand and you lose to yourself. That happens to every druid deck. But generally, if you know to mulligan for the good cards, then you will generally have a good time. Yeah, and having access to Breath of Dreams is just so, so nice when you hit, because uh, if you can ramp on two instead of on three with the Wild Gross, it's, it just makes the whole game a lot easier. Yeah, Breath of Dreams does help you uh, be a little bit more consistent in your early game. Yeah, and, well, there's not much more to talk about with Druid. I mean, it's just it's the same thing it's been doing since the start of the expansion. Um but it's still very powerful, and the builds are just kind of dialed in at this point. They're very efficient. I wonder if the, the growth of Libroom Paladin will finally make a dent in Druid, because it seems like a matchup you'd rather be the Paladin in. Uh, surprisingly, the matchup is actually pretty cr- close. Pure Paladin does better in the matchup than mm-hmm. uh, Libroom Paladin, because you don't have uh, Braggarts. Braggarts are very important uh, yeah, in that matchup with Blessing of Authority. So the Paladin can definitely remove the Druid threats, but in terms of inevitability, Druid can definitely get, get there. So Libram Paladin is not necessarily um, strong in this meta because of its Druid matchup, but it's more about its all-around matchup spread. We'll talk about that later, but it's not really a Druid counter. I wouldn't yeah. consider that. That's fair. Um, well, that kind of wraps up Druid. Why don't we talk about... Last week's most popular class, Mage, it does seem like Cyclone Mage has taken a little bit of a hit in popularity. Uh, uh, it, you know, people are playing more aggressive stuff right now and uh, and more Druid, and that's not good good news for Cyclone Mage. Yeah, Cyclone Mage is definitely a strong deck, but one that is vulnerable. It's kind of funny that its win rate is sub-50% at Legend, but uh, we talked about the reasons last week. There's just a lot of matchups that... Mage is slightly unfavored. Soul Demon Hunter, Bomb Warrior, Druid. Um, Base Hunter is a close matchup as well. It doesn't really have an edge against the top meta decks. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's strong. It definitely has flexibility. Uh, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's one of the best performers or close to that. Uh, but it is very popular and 
very fun to play for a lot of players. Personally, I enjoy playing Cyclomage. It's a very fun deck to play. Um, people complain about the generation element, but I think if this is the complaint, these are the complaints that we have in this meta, then it's indicative that we have a pretty good meta because people will complain about something. Uh, we'll always find something to complain about. Uh, so I think the most important thing is that the deck is skill testing, is the fact that the generation leads to better players doing better with the deck because it involves a lot of decision making and utilizing of your resources and resources that you need to expect to generate sometimes. Uh, but again, the deck is not oppressive by any means. Uh, still, there are two builds that I recommend a lot of. The first one is the Dragon Variant. Uh, what I like about that variant is the reload potential with Cobalt Spellkin. Um, Arcane Breath is surprisingly effective in the deck. Orange really nailed that build down. And uh, you could run Jandis, you could add Jandis, but it gets kind of awkward. We did notice that when you add Jandis, it kind of makes your other five drops worse because there's just too many. It's a bit too heavy. Uh, so the, the build that we feature in the port works well. Then there's the other build that is a little bit more it's a little bit more difficult to refine because there are several card choices that are kind of important, but it's hard to find space for everything. The one card that I think might be questionable here is Arcane Intellect. It's perma included in this variant. Uh usually as in a one-off. Sometimes I even see two ofs Arcane Intellect. That's definitely too much. The question is whether we want to run one. And we did some some internal analysis uh, on this subject. And Arcane Intellect is definitely not good enough in the Cobalt Spellkin deck because you have a lot of reload already. And the argument in running Arcane Intellect in the vanilla build is that you run it in order to, you know, make sure that you do have card drawing in case you don't draw cram sessions, right? You don't run Spellkin, so you don't have as much generation or reload potential. So that's the argument you run one Arcane Intellect. But when we looked into it, uh, we saw that Arcane Intellect is a little bit of a crutch where people like like running it as a safe option just to make sure they have the card draw, but usually you don't need it, especially if you use Cram Session well. And I'll expand on that. Um, one of the more, more skill-testing aspects in running Cyclomage is the utilization of Cram Session along your spell damage mini. So you have limited amounts of spell damage. You have lab partners and you have uh, the promoter studies. And you need to make sure to save these resources in order to utilize Cram Session and get more out of it. And that's one of the more interesting elements into playing this deck. So when you use Cram Session well, you never need the Arcane Intellect. So it's kind of like Arcane Intellect kind of makes up for your bad plays. <laughs> but if you actually play well, you pretty much never need the Arcane Intellect. Because when you run too much card draw, and this is something that even high-level players you know, sometimes struggle with, is that card draw tends to be overvalued. And... People tend to run too much card draw in general when, you know, better tempo options can be stronger. Um, so what we notice is that if you run too much card draw, then card draw overall gets weaker, right? Because if you pay three mana for an arcane intellect and you end up drawing cram session later, it's less likely that the cram session will be as effective because you have 
resources in hand. You also generate a lot of cards. So sometimes these cards kind of interfere with each other and make each other worse. So if you cut the Arcane Intellect, you just need to keep in mind how to play Cram Session well. How to sometimes save a lab partner or save a discounted uh, uh, spell damage minion that you, you got from studies. And that's also true for Ross as well. Your utilization of your spell damage minion is very important for maximizing both Ross and Cram Session. And if you do that well, you don't need the Arcane Intellect, even if you don't want Cobalt Spellkeeper. Now, why is this important? Why do we want to cut uh, Arcane Intellect so much? There's a few reasons, right? Devolving Missiles is really important, especially when you don't want Spellkin. That, you know, you generate a lot of one of spells, so, so you often get the Devolving Missiles generated. But when you don't want Spellkin, you usually need a Devolving Missile in a Druid matchup, often in the Miracle Rogue matchup. When you don't want Spellkin, there is great importance in running at least one Devolving Missile in the vanilla build. Now, uh, then you have Firebrand which is a card that people associate in faster matchups, that, oh, Firebrand is good just in a faster matchups. It's not good against control, which isn't true. Uh, Firebrand is also good in slower matchups. The key is to run one of it so that it's not too resource-intensive, and uh, when you run two, it can get a little bit more awkward if you draw both of them. It's less likely that you'll be able to utilize them uh, both uh, to their full potential, but running one is definitely seems important Definitely uh, seems powerful. And then the final card is Conjurer's Calling. And it's a card that I, I talked about not liking before. The problem is that there's an increase in Soul Demon Hunters. And, you know, a lot of people think that Conjurer's Calling is good against Druid. The matchups you want Conjurer's Call Calling in are Bomb Warrior and Soul Demon Hunter. Because they can struggle. Like, the mage needs to pressure in these matchups in order to be able to avoid getting pressured in its life level. When you're on the offensive, then that's when the, the deck shines. And when you're on the defensive, you get smacked in the face. So if you can get a giant conjurers against in these matchups, you're far more likely to win. So in these bad matchups, you run conjurers calling. Even though it's not great in the other matchups, it really helps in these matchups, which helps the deck overall. So you have all of these one-offs that are pretty important in, in several matchups. Uh, and then you have Arcane Intellect, which is kind of a card that you run be that's only good when you don't play the deck well. So we kind of advise you to cut the Arcane Intellect, put the cards that are actually impactful in multiple matchups, and just keep in mind how to utilize Cram Session better so that you never actually need to play Arcane Intellect for three matchups. Interesting how we've come around on that. I I know you were pretty low on Conjurer's Calling for a while. It was pretty slow when the meta was faster, but now yeah, you're right. Against Soul Demon Hunter, you kind of just need to make a Mana Giant and then make something crazy big out of it. My opinions on cards are in, is entirely dependent on the meta. Conjurer's yeah. Calling wasn't very good a few weeks ago. We said as much. Now, Soul Demon Hunter rose in popularity and significant numbers, and now the the needle was pushed, and now Conjurer's Calling is, is a better consideration. It's still not one of the better cards, but since there are so many Bomb Warriors and Soul Demon Hunters right now that are played because you specifically want to target Cyclomage, 
then the inclusion of the card makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and the deck still, like, we're talking about single card slots here, so it's not going to make a huge difference, but I do agree that Arcane Intellect, but I'm going to say that as a player of questionable skill, it never felt like that card was propping me up. It was just kind of slow. Uh, you know, you whenever I see my opponent play that on turn three, I feel like I got away with something because they didn't invest or play some cards or whatever. I'd be much less happy to see that firebrand that we have suggested in the report just played as a three mana three four. Uh, that would likely just be better right now. Yeah, I mean, firebrand usually shines up on turn four and usually activates on turn four very often. But yeah, arcane intellect is just kind of redundant with the amount of generation that you can do through mana cyclone and the card draw that you can use with cram sessions. It's kind of a card that's only good when you kind of draw a blank, and then you kind of lose anyway. It's not like Arcane Intellect is pulling you back into the game. And if you ever play a cram session where two or three cards are in a match, you will almost never have time to play Arcane Intellect. So it's kind of a dead draw when you've already played a cram session or when you already made your Mana Cyclone. Um, So it's very, very situational, borderline, just not good. Yeah, and if we need card draw, it's not too hard to find it off of Magic Trick or Wand Thief or, well, any number of other cards that make stuff, but... That is true. Yeah, but it makes sense as well that as players have gotten better with the deck, that Cram Session is more consistent, and as we're drawing more cards and learning how to maximize it, it makes a lot more sense to just not run AI. Yeah, if you want to aspire to play Cyclomage as well as you can, then try to get used to not playing the Arcane Intellect. That is our suggestion. Yes. Though we do have a new mage list that does run Arcane Intellect because we've taken the approach, uh, following the lead from some innovators on ladder, there are a couple of Highlander decks that are kind of modeled after... They're, they're almost copies of decks with two ofs, except they, they cut the duplicates as opposed to trying to do their own thing. Highlander Mage is now... We're featuring a Highlander Cyclone list, and it's really cool. Do you remember, Hat, that we talked a few weeks ago about, you know, the big spell package not really doing well in Highlander Mage and me wondering whether we could run a faster list with Highlander? I do remember that, yes. Yeah, and here we go. Here we go. Uh, so this week we, we saw, we kept seeing Highlander Mage is struggling because the builds uh, with, you know, power creations, deep freeze, dragon casters are really struggling in the current meta. They're just getting burned out. But we started seeing. Highlander Mage. Basically, Cyclone Mage builds were going Highlander. And these look pretty promising. They look a lot more playable than the older Highlander builds. So we're kind of featuring this list. Uh, the one thing that I did notice in these builds is they, that they don't run Imprisoned Observer, and that's probably incorrect. You really want that card, even in this kind of deck. Oh, man, uh, that card's so Where good. you're a lot faster. Yeah, it's just so good. If you run one elves and you don't have enough good cards, then run Observer. One suggestion that I saw in the Discord, and one thing that I also thought about, but I didn't have data for, is running Polkit. Um, you can mm. run Polkit in that build, and it, if you play Polkit on 4, you draw Mana Giant on 5, and you draw Reno on 6. So I wonder if that's ever a thing. Now, the thing is about this um, deck is that you know a Cyclo Mage deck wants its cheap spells. You don't want to shove them at the bottom of your deck. Right, so that can be tricky, and I'm not sure that Polkit is good. 
but I'm kind of floating it, this idea in the podcast, and see whether people pick up on it. I'm not sure it's good, but it could be. But the list that we have in the report, I can guarantee you, is a lot better than the Dragon Caster build that you know was prevalent throughout this expansion and kind of dying out because just is not managing to do very well in this meta, which is very burn centric. Mage needs to be proactive because it doesn't have time to just sit sit back and, and play defensively because it gets smacked in the face. Bomb Warrior is a huge problem for Highlander Mage. Yeah. Bomb Warrior is kind of a limiting factor in a lot of decks existing. Um and you know it's it's there's not much to do about that. Uh but I will say that I hope this Highlander deck ends up performing because being able to play Reno again, I ran some games with this yesterday, being able to play Reno again is kind of cool, and it really doesn't make all that many compromises outside of the, the matchup to Bomb Warrior going from bad to worse. Yeah, it's pretty sweet, and it's looking like Tier 3, Borderline Tier 2 even. Um, in the report, the stats suggest that Highland Mage is Tier 4, yes, but that's because it's aggregated with the Dragon Caster builds. So, if we see more data on if 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 this arc if this variant takes over, I expect Highlander Mage to be a lot closer to the percent winning mark. If you enjoy Highlander Mage, if you like playing Zephyrus and Reno, then this is the deck for you, uh, right now. Yeah. But there is also another Mage deck. Oh yeah. That's a deck that other players may fear. This is a very interesting Mage deck to discuss, which is Turtle Mage. And let me tell you this. The barrier build we talked about in the report, we mentioned the report, does have merits. And the thing is that strikes me is how you can change three cards. You just change blizzards to barriers. And obviously War, uh, War Mage uh, for Cloud Prince. And the deck's matchup spread changes so much. Like, Turtle Mage is so flexible. You can demolish board decks by running Blizzard. Like things like Paladin can do pretty well against Druid as long as they don't run uh, hot spe spider tank, of course. Um, you can beat priests pretty consistently as well. And then you can run barriers and your bomb warrior matchup is better. Your soul demon hunter, suddenly you stomp soul demon hunter. Suddenly face hunter is no longer a bad matchup when you run barriers. Oh no. Like, yeah, so Turtle Mage, now obviously there's a sacrifice, right? If you don't run Blizzard, Druid is a lot tougher. Um, Cyclone Mage is tougher uh, because you can't get rid of the board. You can kind of, like, it, it can get a little bit awkward also in the mirror if you if you don't run Blizzard. But uh, a Barrier has a lot of merit. And I think that Turtle Mage is the kind of deck that can be powerful on ladder. Uh, depending on what you run into, you can really be one step ahead and just stomp on the field if you make the right choice here between the Barry and the Blizzard. And then Conquest lineups, I can see it being good in different types of lineups where you ban different classes. Like, it's just, you can ban Druid and go with Barrier, and suddenly you're really good against, like, Demon Hunter Warrior uh, lineups. Or you can ban a warrior and go blizzard and leave up druid and that's also reasonable so that doesn't change the fact that you struggle against malaga's druid it, it definitely has options and you know the deck has risen in its win rate partly because people started playing more of the barrier idea 
that we threw out last week. And it's on its way to having a positive win rate. I wouldn't be surprised if it has a positive win rate for the next report, if there is one. And yeah, Turtle Mage is good. Super toxic, but good. I was playing a game yesterday, and I was playing the Highlander list, uh, the Highlander Mage, and I ran into a Turtle Mage, and I said, you know what? I'm going to work on the show notes, uh, and I'm going to make them play it out. And it was 28 minutes for them to kill me. And ugh. Those were not fun 28 minutes, I'm guessing. I was multitasking. Like, I, I played my turns quickly oh, and, that's and let them do their yeah. thing. Yeah, I just I, I kept that Turtle Mage player in the prison of that game so they couldn't do it to somebody else. Listener, these are the sacrifices I'm willing to make for you. I'm not stuck here with you. You're stuck here with me. Exactly. Yes. So, Turtle Mage, I did play Turtle Mage this week. It's a good deck. I had fun with it. I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe it's the influence of playing a Yoink Priest that's causing me to be, uh, to enjoy super toxic decks that people rage playing against. But yeah, Turtle Mage is fun. I really like the feel of the barrier build after playing it a bunch, and it's good. The deck is good. Deck is powerful. I think it, it can really shine in tournaments. A lot of people, you know, GMs also, uh, really are infatuated with Cyclone Mage, but I see Turtle Mage's value in Conquest right now, for sure. Yeah. I will say that, if, on a serious note, playing Turtle Mage, the games don't always go that long because usually people will either concede or you will kill them quickly. It's really important to emphasize how at, when, when played, Optimally, I feel like the deck is a mid-range deck that is able to pressure board pretty quickly. My desired opening with the deck is often like Spellwing into uh, into Wandmaker, into Observer, or something like that. You just want to play minions on curve, and it will end the game surprisingly fast. Absolutely. When you play this deck, you think, I'm mid-range, I fight for the board, I want to curve out and play stuff. And then on turn 8, I play my Pilgrim. That's the mindset you want to have if you want to play Turtle Mage well. Don't think about this deck as this deck. I need to stall so I can survive and combo. No. Think about it like if I can pressure my opponent, I will do so without any question. I will push the initiative. And, you know, once you do that, that's also a form of stalling because your opponent needs to think about how to deal with your board. And by the time he manages to deal with your board, the Pilgrim comes out and the game is over. Also, the Cloud Prince build, when you run Cloud Prince, you can kill your opponent very quickly once the Pilgrim very changes quickly. going. You can kill, yeah, absolutely. So the deck can definitely be played very aggressively, and I feel like that's when the deck shines, uh, when you treat it as this mid-range deck. I'm going to fight for the board, put minion stats on the board, let my opponent worry about that, and then on turn 8, I start my combo. I have a one-card combo. So this is my suggestion in terms of mindset and playing this deck. And I've done really well with it this week, and I think it's very good. I think it's very dangerous also, because there's an expansion with Battlecry minions, which are pretty much the most popular minions in the card pool. Uh, you know, that deck can become broken very quickly if new cards arrive. So keep an eye on, on Turtle Mage and see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'm... I'm. We don't know if they're going to be card changes soon. Uh, we've been talking about it for a little bit. I'm just really hoping that at some point they make Turtle pull the spell out of the deck instead of casting a copy. Uh, it's yeah, it's I, something that we yeah. talked about. We talked about it. I said it as much in the previous podcast episode. 
I said a few weeks ago that I think that they will nerf uh, Turtle Mage uh, within like a month. I just can't see this deck being like uh, a long-term thing. And yeah, that's like the most sensible uh, change you could make. Just make it cast a spell instead of casting a copy and that's done. Yeah, the deck's done. But don't know if that's coming. Don't know if that's if it is, if it's coming now. So... If it isn't, then I will have uh, plenty more uh, time to play my Turtle Mage. I'm becoming a Turtle Mage main. Ugh. So that's, that's also a reason why I think it's going to get nerfed. Like, they just nerfed Because you're playing it. Uh, yeah. Now, here's the question. How many living dragon breaths have you seen? Zero. And that, Oh, actually, I saw one. I saw one, but I wasn't playing Turtle Mage. So, yeah. Tough luck, buddy. Yeah. Swing and a miss. So... Speaking of decks that are theoretically good against Turtle Mage, talk about Soul Demon Hunter. Because that is, it's, it's definitely taking a little bit of a hit as people are adapting to it. And, you know, when Druid is the number one class uh, that we talk about, of course, Soul Demon Hunter is going to struggle a little bit. But the deck still looks really great, and the matchup spread is quite strong, I think. Yeah, it only beats the Blizzard build. Uh, it doesn't, you struggle against the Barrier I guess Barrier is kind build. of a problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your favorite is the Turtle Mage if you run Barriers against... Uh... Especially if you run Shadow Weavers as well. It's oh, yeah. just GG. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the main struggle is not the fact that people are running Barry and Turtle Mage. It's the fact that Druid is getting more popular. Now, what we did notice this week is that people are adjusting to the Druid matchup by running a build that's more like the anti-Druid thing with Mag Therid and a card that I previously said was a bait, was a trap card. But again, the meta is changing. There are a lot more Druids at Top Legend that there were a few weeks ago, and it starts to make sense to run the anti-Druid build over the more well-rounded Spectral side build. So Mechtheridon is good. Um, Wandmaker is good because you get Twin Slice. It's good always. Consume Magic can be useful. Mana Burn, very good against Druid. You also get it at a timing that's pretty critical. You play Wandmaker on turn two, you Mana Burn them on three, and they cannot overgrowth. So it can be a very powerful opening. Um, the thing is that Magtheridon and Wandmakers are also very good against Paladin. So even though Paladin is not popular at Top Legend, if you take the anti-Druid build to like Diamond 4 to 1, you still do pretty well with it because you do have Druids, but you have a lot more Paladins. And like in a matchup like Paladin, Consume Magic is nuts. Magtheridon is very, very good. So... Uh, even though it's anti-druid and we call it anti-druid because that's the purpose, that's why the build was created. It was created at top legend in order to be able to do better against druid. It has implications against paladin. It also even has implications against rogue because of mainly consume magic and the ability to answer uh, questing adventures and Edwin. Though it's not that big of a deal as much as people think it is. Um, I will say this. Uh, we feature both builds. Um, they're better depending on where you run, like what portion of ladder you are. If you're a top legend and you see an endless amount of druids, then you can, you take the soul demon hunter with the anti-druid tech for sure. If not, uh, the spectral side build is better in most other matchups like mage, warrior. It's a lot better. Uh, also against aggro rogue, face hunter, you'd rather run spectral side. Uh, then mechtheridon does nothing in uh, but I will say this, even though you can tech for Druid, you still don't beat it. The anti-Druid build is like 45% win rate against uh, Druid. 
while the Spectrocyte build is a, a little bit over 35%. So there's definitely a big difference in the Druid matchup, on, but at the cost of your other matchups. But since you do sacrifice other matchups in order to be better against Druid, it's still not great to run into a lot of Druid as the Soul Demon Hunter. And we did see that the win rate declined um, this last week because of the popularity of Druid and people attacking against Druid, still losing to Druid and then sacrificing other matchups as well. So not not good news to see Druid uh, so popular for Demon Hunter, but it's still it's a good deck. Positive win rate uh, throughout ladder. Um, very strong matchup spread. Pretty much has two the, the two bad matchups against Paladin and Druid, and then everything else even to favorite, uh, and it usually is favorite against most other things. Yep. Um, I, I wonder actually. I know that there's been a popular build circulating on Twitter that cuts Glaivebound adapts. I wonder if that's had an impact on the win rate of Soul Demon Hunter overall, because cutting Glaivebound adapts seems kind of crazy to me. Yeah, I'm not sure about it. I didn't look into cutting adapt because most people are running adapt, so it's kind of hard to compare. Yeah, but I'm kind of skeptical. I'm pretty sure that adapt is good because the reason why the deck initially rose in win rate was the introduction of adapt and battle fiend. I should clarify. I think that the numbers overall in the archetype might be going down because people are taking out a really good card. It's mostly no. It's not. It's not very common actually, and it's mostly. It's mostly the rise of druid that's uh, hurting the win rate, rate rather than you know suboptimal card choices. I can tell you that. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and aggro demon hunter. Any news? No news. It's the same. Not much. You know, it's the same build. It's still a strong deck on the climate legend. We do notice that it kind of falls off at legend. I don't know if it's uh, necessarily. No, it's not necessarily low skill seeing or any of that. It's mostly because the meta composition at Legend and higher levels of play is tougher for the deck. So the deck kind of disappears there. Um, but it's still fine on the ladder climb. If you still enjoy the deck, you can definitely have success with it. But it's definitely inferior to Soul Demon Hunter in the current meta. And playing it against Soul Demon Hunter, I can speak from experience. Getting Dustbreaker sucks. Like it's not it's not an enjoyable thing to yeah, it's play a tough. bunch of two twos and then the mirror is tough. Yeah. Well, we've talked about Warrior over the course of uh, of this podcast, so now seems like a good time to get into it. Bomb Warrior is, I think, one of the decks that defines what you can and cannot do in this format. Um, even though it's getting hard targeted in basically every conquest lineup that that I can see on ladder, it still seems like it's uh, doing all right. Yeah, because people figure out that weapon tech is not the way to go, and I'm seeing less weapon tech. Uh, on ladder, and that helps Bomb Warrior too. Uh, so even though people are making the right choices, that means that Bomb Warrior is doing a little bit better. Uh, it has the highest winner to top legend, though it doesn't really mean that much when everything is so close together. Like I don't think there is a clear best deck, and we did write in the report that Bomb Warrior is the best deck right now. Then it's the worst deck in the his worst best deck in the history of Hearthstone. Right? It's definitely vulnerable. It's definitely beatable. Face Hunter destroys it pretty much. Um, and, you know, if you pressure it, Agro Rogue also does well against it. And it does have close matchups. Other other decks can definitely uh, challenge it. It's not like you, you lose to it. If you run Conjurer's Calling and Cyclomage, you do better against Bomb Warrior. 
Uh, Druid can definitely adjust to Bomb Warrior, can definitely do well in that matchup. So Bomb Warrior is good. Build pretty much the same, nothing changed there. Um, I do think that Bomb Warrior is a little bit overrated in Conquest. So I'm not sure why it has like this, per it's this permanent fixture that we see. Uh, especially since, you know, last Master Story was actually the worst performing deck in the, in the field. Because it was targeted pretty aggressively. And also, you don't need to run Sticky Fingers in order to do well against it. You can build a Conquest lineup that does well against Bomb Warrior. You know, Soul Demon Hunter is one of the matchups that, you know, Warrior used to be favored. And then Soul Demon Hunter just made better choices in its cards. And now Soul Demon Hunter is favored against Bomb Warrior. So, definitely beatable deck. It's strong. Especially in slow matchups, in the, if the meta is slow, then Bomb Warrior shines because the inevitability, inevitability through bombs uh, becomes more powerful. But if it's pressured, if it, if you aggress into it, then it can definitely fold. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's still one of the worst performing. I think it is the worst performing non warlock deck in Master Tour qualifiers so far from this week. I think it's just overrated. I don't yeah. understand why people just are fixated into auto-including Bomb Warrior in every lineup. I think the deck can be very vulnerable uh, to just smart card choices. You don't need to run eight Sticky Finger lineups in order to do well against it. I really don't think so. And the fact that these lineups even exist means that Bomb Warrior is definitely not an auto-include. You can just not run Bomb Warrior and suddenly these lineups become free. Yeah. It's uh, the a lot of qualifier winners. Uh, I know we're not a conquest podcast, but a lot of qualifier winners are cutting bomb warrior, and it's something that I imagine will reach equilibrium. But on ladder, it kind of just it it has a decent matchup spread, and the games you win with it, it feels like why would I be playing anything else? So I'm not surprised that it's still popular. But uh, to quote the report, it might be the weakest and most vulnerable best deck we've seen in Hearthstone ever. I believe that. Yep. If that's the best deck, then we're in a good shape. Yes. Uh, and have we seen anything from Big Warrior? I do like the list that cuts the cash, uh, just because we, we get a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more early game out of playing Livewire Lance. Uh, but it seems like the play rate's still pretty low. Yeah, it's still low. It's surprisingly good like in some very popular matchups, which makes it reasonably strong. Uh, a lot stronger than people suggest. You know, Some people think it's just dumpster. It's not really dumpster. It's okay. The cashless build is definitely strong, and you can have fun with Big Warrior. The problem is, I think, the reason why it's not played much is because it has these matchups that are just still impossible. Yeah. Like, the Priest matchup is one of the worst. It's not oh. necessarily the win rate, which is terrible. It's just getting yoinked when you're playing Big Warrior is just the worst experience. I can definitely see people just not playing that deck anymore once to queue into a Priest. Even if they don't make the decision at the beginning of the game, when your Rattlegore gets stolen and then Apotheosis, it's kind of hard to want to keep playing Hearthstone. It is very difficult to say, I'm going to queue another game after that. Yep. That's Warrior. Pretty uneventful. But, you know, it's it just Bomb Warrior is just very straightforward. It was pretty easy to refine. Um, so you don't expect a lot of news from this class uh, once, you know, things are settling down. Is the win rate high enough for us to talk about a Bomb Warrior nerf? Or even the play rate? No, but you could definitely consider a nerf for experience reasons because of the inevitability and the fact that it's one of the more polarized decks in the current meta. This meta is very 
be polarized. It's not very polarizing. A lot of matchups are close. A lot there are a lot of skill matchups, you know, like 50-50, 55-45. There's a lot of room for outplay potential. Uh, but if there is a polarizing deck, it's kind of bomb warrior. And if you're ever playing a slow deck or you want to play like a control deck, then bomb warrior is irritating and kind of baits you into playing weapon tech as well. Like I always say whenever like ooze is even considered, even though it's bad, Sticky Finger is definitely not good ladder card. Whenever people start playing Ooze and Sticky Finger, you know something is a little bit wrong, right? Yeah. Because even though it's not good a choice, the fact that people feel compelled to run these cards is kind of indicative of a problem. There's a problem. Uh, we saw it also with Skull of the Minari. And back then, Ooze was even like stronger than it is right now. And, you know, when, a, when you have this situation, it's Kingsbane, where weapon tech becomes kind of a meta consideration or even meta warping, then there's there's somewhat of an issue. I don't like when tech cards are common choices because it makes matchups feel far too swingy. A kind of feast of famine. I drew the card, so I win. Or I didn't draw the card, so I lose. Or this deck is just, oh, bomb damage, wrench caliber damage, and there's just no minions, and the deck is just completely uninteractive when it comes to the board. The only thing it does is just remove things. So I'm personally not a fan of Bomb Warrior. The question is, how do you nerf it? It's very tricky, right? What do you do? Uh, you already nerf cash. I mean, wrench could be wrench could be a 2-2 weapon, or if you want to go bigger, the bombs could deal 4. I, I, I don't know if that nerfs the experience it doesn't nerf blast master boom but it does at least make it you don't die from drawing six bombs over the course of the game anymore uh just because the the five damage breakpoint is very clear so if you nerf the bomb damage you could bring the deck down a little bit or you could just hit wrench and make it a two two and then it becomes a lot worse on curve to play wrench i would look i would honestly look to buff other classes before yeah. i think about nerfing warrior maybe buff decks that are good against warrior for example Totem Shaman, did you know that Totem Shaman was good against Warrior? I I I knew nothing about Totem Shaman until right now. Uh well now you know. So yeah. Uh, looking forward to talking about wait, that in a minute. Yeah. A little later, a little bit later. But uh let's get to the next class. Let's talk which about Which is the Hunter. answer to Bomb Warrior. Yes. Yeah. It is. Hunter has developments this week. Actually very interesting developments. We all know about Face Hunter, and Face Hunter is strong. It's the best answer to Bomb Warrior. It has a very good matchup spread in general. doesn't really lose to... Lines up very well against the top meta decks. It's definitely the strongest... One, one of the two strongest decks on the Climb to Legend. If you want to Climb to Legend, you're kind of intermediate player or a beginner. And Face Hunter is one of the two best choices along with Pure Paladin. You know, the meta is very different on the Climb to Legend than it is at, like, Top Legend. But a Top Legend is still very, very strong. But then we have Highlander Hunter, and Highlander Hunter is a deck that kind of got, you know, felt redundant. Why would you play face a Highlander Hunter when you can play Face Hunter, which has a better matchup spread? Well, now you can play Highlander Face Hunter, and that list, which we feature in the report, you know, it was uh, developed by multiple players. I cannot really trace the original creator of this deck of like. Because we've seen kind of bits of it even a month ago, but we never saw something as refined and fleshed out as it is right now. But this this deck, this Highlander Face Hunter deck, it might be as good as Face Hunter. It just 
you have so many good cards in Hunter that are aggressive. You can run a low curve, and you have Zephyrus, which is a great finisher, right? You have Dino Timmer Brand, which is a fantastic finisher. That also works with Poket, which you want to run in Face Hunter anyway. So we just go Highlander Face Hunter. And if you enjoy Highlander Hunter, if you're a fan of this deck, highly recommend you to try this list that we have in the report. It's not just fun for a Highlander Hunter player. It's good. It's It was considered as a meta breaker option this week. We opted from Librum Paladin because it just seems really, really promising. And we're not quite 100% sure about Highlander Face Hunter being a meta breaker. But the fact that it's even a consideration should tell you the potential power level of this list. It's it's really, really good in my experience. I've done a bunch of uh, one-on-one coachings with it this week, and I've done a bunch of just playing a bunch of ladder with it. And the to, to emphasize, for people that haven't looked at the list, when we say low curve, the only cards that cost more than three mana in the deck are Pole Kelt, Dragon Bane, Brand. So when you Pole Kelt on four, you always get to Dragon Bane Hero Power on six. So you just need to make sure you have something to do on uh, on your five mana turn. And it's a really powerful, consistent late game. And I'd much rather be playing this against Soul Demon Hunter. Not, I don't think it's a favored matchup, but when you get to Frozen Shadow Weaver them into a brand, then it feels a lot better than what Face Hunter has to do in that matchup. It is much worse against Bomb Warrior. At least it, it feels that way. Um, but it's still... A lot of the matchups are very similar, and the power of the late game and the flexibility of Zephyrus is really nice to have access to. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that I'm telling you that I'm not sure what's better, this or Face Hunter, should tell you the potential power level of the stack. Um, it's uh, it's definitely the way to go right now for Highlander, much better than the Dragon build by a wide margin. So I think that Highlander Hunter has potential to still find its place in the meta, and that's a good thing, right? Yeah. More variety, though it should be it should be noted pretty clearly. This is Face Hunter with Bran and Zeph. This is not Highlander Hunter that you're thinking of. If you're playing it like you want to curve into a Rodness Drake or whatever, then uh, it's not going to perform. Yeah, it's Face Hunter with Zephyrus and Dino Timer Bran, which are very powerful face cards. Yes, uh, because uh, Zephyrus can give you like a Savage Roar. By the way, that list runs Snake Trap. We were asked, why does this list run Snake Trap? Because sometimes they hit your minion and you get Snake Trap, and a Zephyrus into Savage Roar can just win you the game. So Snake Trap is actually sneakily good in a Highlander build with Zephyrus. And you just have finishing potential. Uh, And your early curve is still pretty consistent. So you can get on the board quickly. Uh, The only thing that I think the deck would be missing is the second Voracious Reader. That's obviously problem but the fact that you have a higher curve and you have more powerful finisher and dino Timber brand means that you're less likely to run out of steam uh as in the face hunter build so not strictly better or strictly worse as it is right now as it looks right now and you have options now it's not just a one deck class we have a second option that's just as viable and competitive yeah and that wraps up hunter so let's move into rogue which I think is technically still a class, but I just I've seen so little of it on ladder. I guess Agarog is kind of picking up a little bit, but we should talk about Miracle. I think that's a more popular build right now, right? Uh, Miracle Rogue is kind of more popular at higher levels. Kind of weird that you say Agarog. It's actually Miracle Rogue that's looking better right now, and Agarog I think has is is struggling. 
Yeah. So I'll explain. Miracle Rogue, we talked about it uh, last week. It was kind of struggling with the secret passage uh, nerf initially, uh, struggling to adjust. It's also still refining, and refining means cutting Dragon Horde. And, you know, there's always this one dude on Twitter that posts a Dragon Horde list, and we're back to square one. People are running that card again until they stop running it, and then, you know, the win rate picks up again. So Miracle Rogue is kind of a process where, yeah, if you play the good list, play the good cards, then you will have a pretty solid experience on ladder. You have a lot of close matchups with the top meta decks. You don't beat anything, but you don't really hard lose to anything. So the deck is reasonably competitive and strong. Uh, definitely viable. It definitely wouldn't count the deck out. You do have the option between Initiate and Cult Neophyte, which is the biggest choice that you have. And it's a tricky choice, right? Because Neophyte is very tempting to run into Druid and Cyclone Mage. The problem, the card sucks in every, in almost every other matchup to a pretty big degree. Yes, it sucks against Priest. I will reiterate, it sucks against Priest. Cult Neophyte, not a good card against Priest. It's only good, a net positive Cyclone Mage matchup and the Druid matchups. So if you don't see a lot of those, then Initiate will give you more value in a game. Uh, but regardless of that, it's one of the more skill-testing decks in the format. In a format that's already pretty skill-testing, I would place it top three, along with Cyclone Mage and Control Priest, if you're curious. And it's it's good. I, th I expect it to you know kiss the 50% win rate mark if it continues on its uh, slow improvement in terms of card choices. Agro Rogue not really lining up well against the meta. Not really something that beats Druid consistently. Struggles against Cyclomage, one of the only matchups that Cyclomage really relishes. It beats Bomb Warrior, but not as much as Face Hunter. And then Face Hunter just seems like a strictly better choice because it beats Agro Rogue. Uh, so it's definitely kind of an issue, even taking it into a Bomb Warrior meta, because if Bomb Warriors become popular, then you're going to see the Face Hunter quickly follow. And then you ask yourself, why am I playing Agro Rogue? Now, there are some developments in Agro Rogue. Uh, you remember we talked about the Steel Dancer build, which kind of fell off, and now it's coming back and looking stronger. Potentially, could become the best Agro Rogue variant. Right now, it's kind of neck and neck with the Hyper Agro build, with the Boron Scorpids. I will say, though, that I don't expect that Dancer build to revive the archetype to a degree where it's one of the stronger decks in the meta because the Dancer build is slow and that generally doesn't translate into a good Druid matchup. Um, you do better against like Mage because they freeze your minions and sometimes you just smack them, much like Soul Demon Hunter does and Bomb Warrior does. If you get a self-sharpening sold off and you buff it and you just smack the Mage in the face, you can ignore the board. They can struggle dealing with the amount of damage you can push out from your face and you can win match the matchup that way but druid matchup is the problem so as long as druid is this popular then dancer build is unlikely to be have that high ceiling that could revive agro rogue as an archetype that's successful so definitely i would say that agro rogue is one of the weaker uh common mana decks at the moment as its uses but personally i'm not a fan of it right now yeah that's rogue this expansion just like we're waiting for it to be good, but it's 
it's really fallen Wait, off. Wait, it was it was so good at the start. Aggro Rogue? Like a- I guess people so. called Aggro Rogue they wanted Aggro Rogue to be nerfed. Like Okay, people wanted Mozaki Mage to be ex- nerfed. No, but no, but Aggro was genuinely powerful. If you look at the first report for this expansion, it had almost no bad matchups. Now we did say this is why you need to read the report and not just look at the power rankings. We did say that we expect to see Aggro Rogue's winner decline, and that did happen. But Rogue was super powerful in the early days of the expansion. And also Miracle Rogue looked like a deck that was on its way to be one of the best in the game, if not the best. So Rogue was definitely very strong early on. It just kind of was a victim of, you know, meta developments. The meta became more hostile to it. And then it also got the Secret Passage nerf on top of it, which hurt these decks. It didn't cripple them, but it did hurt them to some degree. So I think that Rogue kind of had this transformation from this. It was really powerful class early in the expansion, and now it looks a little bit on a weaker side. But, you know, things could change again. Um, definitely not counting it out. Miracle Rogue, maybe if there are, I don't know, balance changes, patches, whatever. These things seem to be happening at a more frequent rate recently. Could uh, find a better footing uh, uh, in a few weeks from now. Who knows? I definitely wouldn't consider Rogue to be overwhelmingly weak or just a bad ladder choice it's not uh, i think aggro rogue is kind of questionable but miracle rogue i think is fine yeah it's you're right it's i shouldn't be so negative about it it, it feels like a million years ago but uh, like your tone of speaking it's almost like we're talking about warlock right now we're talking no, about no. rogue valira always finds a way hat we're talking about classes that are classes we're not talking about warlock because that's not a class um yeah so i Took a brief look back on report 171. Aggro Rogue looked good. In the first report of the expansion, uh, the top decks were Paladin, Priest, and Druid. But Rogue looked all right. All right. No, and we also said, you know, you remember, I was talking about Miracle Rogue being the best deck in the game. You remember me? I do remember. I remember playing it. It was on its way. It was on its way into being the best deck at Top Legend. Uh, And then things change. These things happen, and it's, uh, it's a good thing. One day you're up. The other day you're down. The only class that doesn't seem to have a down is Druid. That's pretty much it. Everything else we've seen moments uh, where classes were strong and moments where these classes were vulnerable. So I expect to see that continue, especially when the meta is so balanced. The difference in win rates between, you know, the top two tier two decks and the tier three decks. We have tier three decks are really, really strong right now because the meta is so balanced and, and just... The tier three decks are the strong decks that are just e- more easily countered. Like Cyclone Mage happens to have a sub fifty percent win rate because you know there are a lot of common matchups that are just not very good for it. But is the deck not strong? Of course it's strong. So Miracle Rogue is in a similar spot, right? But I would say it's even better positioned than Cyclone Mage because if you play the good build and you play well with it, you will have close matchups like. Bomb Warrior is not as bad as people think it is, the matchup. Same for Soul Demon Hunter. Um, it can be rough. It's not easy, but it's definitely winnable. Um, so I think Miracle Rogue definitely has a place. We'll see what happens with Aggro Rogue. Yeah. Uh, though, Zach, I'll warn you, uh, the people that are posting their 12-win runs with Rogue, don't look at those lists. It'll make you sad. You won't like it. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of Dragon's Horde. The... There was a list that's two Dragon's Horde, one Vendetta. Why? Okay, I'm triggered. Like, don't don't talk to 
don't don't mention the, these lists. I just get triggered. Yes. Yes. Really, two dragon sword and one vendetta. Like, like what's the, the only even? justification for even Bradley Cord? What's the point? To make yeah, I don't understand it. I I don't understand. Yeah. So I I would rather talk about priest than talk about those rogue lists. So let's talk about priest. All right. Is fully drink still the best way to get to go here? Because it has to be right. Like this has got to be it. I need some John Cena music. Yoink, priest. Still good. But you can also go three quarters of a yoink. You can go half a yoink. It's still good. Control priest is good. Half what a I mean yoink. Do we, call it, do we call it yo priest? Is it just half a yoink? I'm not sure. We'll have or, to think or about ink that. Priest. You have yo and you have ink. We'll have to think about that. That's difficult to say. But uh, what I mean by... Uh, three quarters of a yoink is you don't have to run Lazul's scheme. You can run something like Shadow of Death instead, and then you have three quarters of a yoink. And you go, you can go half a yoink by cutting both scheme and Cabal Shadow Priest and just running uh, Veil Weaver and either Holy Smite or Shadow of Death. Yeah, Veil Weaver still seems pretty good. It's kind of in competition with Cabal Shadow Priest. Uh, for slots because the, the it's a very competitive list. It's very tough to to get into that list because all the other cards are just very very good. I I am a fan of Cabal Shadow Priest uh, in the current meta. I think it's an important card in several matchups, especially like Druid and the Mirror. Like it's huge in the Mirror. So um, I do think that going you know making the most out of your Yoinks is slightly better, but not to an extent where I cannot say like maybe in a couple weeks i'll say no now we go half a yoink we tone it down no more full yoink I'm a, who am i kidding it's diet yoink that's it we cut the scheme we're diet dieting. yoink we're, yeah yeah there but yeah so control priest stats suggest it's not very good i do think that it's slightly better than the stat show because of what we talked about priest having this jankinitis and people just can't help themselves and put bad cards in priest i don't know why but priest is very susceptible to that and highlander priest is just a deck that's kind of falling off right now and you know you can argue also poor card choices bringing things like sticky finger and ooze into a meta with eight percent bomb warrior just makes absolutely no sense and will drag your win rate significantly down because it just ruins the consistency of an already inconsistent deck so Hounder Priest, not too big on it. The build that we have in the report is pretty good. But I think that even if you take the best Hounder Priest to a specific field and you, you pilot it optimally and you build it optimally, you still have a lower ceiling than a Control Priest deck. I think that Control Priest just beats Hounder Priest uh, and just makes it kind of redundant. Like, why would I play Hounder Priest? Like, why would I play that Hounder Priest over Control Priest? I don't have a good reason. I honestly don't. So that that's the situation. But Priest is fine. Yeah, it's it's all right. It seems to have recovered pretty well uh, from the nerf, which we thought was going to be devastating. It it definitely Cabal Acolyte still definitely a good card, um, and a lot of it has to do, I think, with the strength of Wave of Apathy. But it's still worth playing Priest sometimes. And it's interesting that a lot of development from this class has come from cutting invokes. Yeah, well, the effect of Kabbalah is just very powerful. We even underestimated, probably. Uh, but this is not. This is why we changed the name to Control Priest. We no longer call it Galakron Priest because it's not a Galakron deck. Galakron is 
the worst card in the deck. Yeah. Like, like the card is not like it's very rare that you play it on seven and you're happy with it. The point of Galakon is just so that you can run Disciple. You know, I've seen lists that don't run Disciple and don't run Galakon. The problem is you lack turn one plays, you lack kind of tempo and initiative on the board. Um and Disciple Galcon just really good with like raise that makes your openings so much more powerful and explosive even. Um and you just treat it as a feral cat. Like the Disciple of Galcon becomes like a stronger feral cat. You just run Galcon just so that you can invoke on one. That's it. You don't run Galcon because you want infinite value. You don't need the infinite value in this meta. Even in the like the priest mirrors like sometimes the yoink swings like will more often win you the game rather than the infinite value. Though it does have like if there is a matchup where Galcon is kind of important, it's the mirror. But even in the mirror, that's my point is uh, there are more important things like tempo on the board. So uh, the deck is more of a control deck, control priest with the yoink package rather than a Galcon. Yep, and there's just not as much of a need to go late because this is not this is about as far from a fatigue meta as I think we've gotten, unless you're expecting to run into a lot of control warriors, and I'm certainly not. Yeah, and that like control warrior is a deck that has like seen a little bit of play. Like I see, I saw it like slightly increasing in play after the report, and it has a ten percent win rate against priest. So if people ask me, is control warrior good? I've seen lists pop around. The answer is no. Warrior is not good while we're at it. Yes. Like if you have a 1090 matchup. Yeah, and it also sucks against Mage too, by the way. Uh so yeah, control warrior not good. Priest is fine. You can jam priest and do pretty well on ladder. It's a viable deck. Uh even decks with sub 50% win rate. When the meta is so balanced and the top meta deck doesn't really have that good of a win rate, the difference isn't that big. And you will see a lot of success with decks that are like Tier three, like the labeling is not what's important here. The lab, what's important is the distance from the top decks and priest is not far away. Yeah, double class, love to see it. And Zach, did did it happen? Are we finally getting data on Paladin? Are people finally playing it at high legend? Yeah, there are more Paladins. I'm even seeing, uh, you know, twelve win rates on the Brawlzeum with Paladin. Uh, and Libram Paladin definitely is picking up as we speak. The deck is rising in popularity and continues to impress. I cannot say yet, unfortunately, uh, what Avenging Wrath is doing to the deck. Like, I'm not yet in a position where I can say if our suggestion of Avenging Wrath is the way to go, but we'll probably be able to answer that next week. Um, the thinking behind Avenging Wrath is that Libram Paladin is very dominant in terms of board control. Very good in board control. like In terms of the Broom helping you sweep up uh, the opponent's board and you can really keep your opponent off uh, in, in very effective fashion. The only problem with Libram Paladin is its finishing potential. Like There are two matchups. Priest and Mage that are just rough, regardless of the archetype. Turtle Mage, Cyclone Mage, Highlander Priest, Control Priest. You struggle against these because you're very, very board-centric. 
you need to win through the board. And when you need to win through the board, you struggle against classes that have freezes and stalling and removal, which is what Priest has. And it's very hard for you to close out the game. So sometimes you just got to deal eight for six. Not, so that's the suggestion. Yeah. And we do have some preliminary results that tell us that Avenging Wrath could be good. But it's kind of uh, also from a logical perspective, uh, we've seen in the past, even Paladin and Witchwood be very, very board dominant and lacking finishing potential and utilizing Avenging Wrath as kind of a finisher. And Avenging Wrath also works well with a discounted Liberum of Justice. And um, so it does kind of work with the deck, works well with Allura. So Avenging Wrath might be the answer to, you know, just we don't need to beat Priest and Mage. We just need to get shave off like 5% your advantage. If that happens, if you just become slightly unfavored against these classes, then Librum Paladin is going to break the format. Like, I'm not sure it's going to be the clear best deck, but it's going to reshape the meta and demand other things from other classes. And that's what I mean by meta break. Because if people start taking Paladin seriously, then, you know, Conquest suddenly, the field there becomes different. And Ladder suddenly becomes different. And out of every deck in the current meta, this one has the best chance of making that kind of impact. So we'll see what happens with Avenging Wrath. I'm already seeing plain, like individuals having success with it. But that could be anecdotal. Uh, we'll tell you next week. I, I recommend trying the Avenging Wrath. I have a good feeling about that. Yes. and. It's worth noting, Grandmasters are starting to bring Libroom Paladin. It's starting to happen. Starting to happen? Yeah. I think I saw zero on EU, maybe in other region then. Three on NA. Yeah, EU GMs are stubborn, just like they're... Bomb warriors, I guess, yeah. for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, they're just really, really, really fixated on Bomb Warrior over there. Uh, but yeah, NA tends to be more receptive to new ideas in general. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, Liberum Paladin is very, very promising. Like, it's it's a deck that just does well against everything but these two matchups. So that's why I'm saying, just shave off a few percentages out of these matchups and that deck could be very, very impactful. Uh, which is why it's this meta breaker for a second week in a row. Um... It just has so much potential. Like when you have a deck that's just like one or two cards away, just being completely format defining, and you have to mention it, you have to scream it, especially when it's not, it's still not very popular. It's not popular enough. It should be played and experimented with more, which is why we've been highlighting it. It's like it's a way for the meta to not go stale. It could be like it could completely freshen things up. Even though I don't think this meta is particularly stale anyway. But we're kind of maybe reaching a point where things might be settling down a bit. And Librum Paladin can provide some shakeup. Yeah, at, at this point in the meta, I can say that most of the decks seem to have fairly stable builds. It's not that it's, you know, the environment is stable. It's not that there isn't innovation. But if you play against a Cyclone Mage, you kind of know what pool of cards they're pulling from. If you play against a Druid, you play against a, a Bomb Warrior, you kind of have a rough idea of how that game's going to go. So stale isn't the word I'd use, but there are some builds that are that are pretty well-defined uh, and pretty streamlined at yeah, this point. Yeah, classes are refining. Yeah. 
it's becoming clear what their strengths and weaknesses are, and people have learned the matchup. So in terms of that, things are settling down, and and things could change again if Paladin becomes a stronger consideration, and it's getting more attention, especially over the last couple of days since we've uh, like uh, since publishing the report and a little bit before that, we've seen that Libra Paladin is starting to pick up. It's uh, play rate over the last 24 hours at like Legend is already like 3.5% Librum Paladin. This is a deck that was barely saw played before. It was definitely picking up more. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it further develops. Uh, we'll see. Could be Avenging Wrath. Could be another card that people might be thinking about. We're not going to pretend that we have the answer here, the clear best answer. But I encourage everyone who listens to try things out. Maybe maybe we didn't find the best card. Maybe there's some other thing that we missed out on that could change this deck uh, enough for it to be format changing. Uh, in terms of pure paladin, no news. You know, you know what it is. It's one of the best decks to climb to legend with. It's still fine at legend. It's still even fine at top legend, but it kind of tapers off a little bit. And people, I think, just find the deck boring, so they don't play it. That's my theory, and I stick to it. It's not even a theory. Like The deck is uh, it can be boring for players who are you know, advanced players. Like I would never touch the deck. Even if it had a 60% win rate, I wouldn't touch the deck because it's boring to me. It's I enjoy it in Conquest sometimes uh, because there are some matchups where you see uh, the matchups pretty against against. There's no mage, and there's like... There's there's a warrior and a druid, and you just want some beef. And I will play pure paladin because yeah. I just want some beef there. But otherwise, as far as sitting down for a ladder session, say I'm going to jam pure paladin all day. Yeah, that's not me either. Um, I've tried. Yeah, I I have actually played a little bit more of that new and highly experimental aggro paladin lately, and it is highly experimental. We didn't talk about it for you know, I mean, there's no data and there's not much to talk about yet. But I would rather do that than play. Uh, pure paladin just from a play experience stand- standpoint but in- does it have uh does that have magic carpet is that a build with magic carpet yes, it is okay so um oh, wait a minute you have news yeah don't run magic carpet why are people shoving that card everywhere like magic carpet was good for like a couple months in zoo warlock like a year ago and hasn't been very successful since like I'm not sure about this deck. I'm probably I, I I'm not gonna hype this deck up. The yeah. Agro Paladin. I don't think it's particularly promising, but I'm pretty. What I'm pretty sure of is that Magic Carpet is highly overrated, pushed too often into decks that just have a few one drops. Yeah, I I wasn't gonna talk about that list because I'm not sure it's good. So yeah, but I did start no no, but I did start seeing it a little bit because you know. You can imagine, like, I'm talking to the podcast, and I have like 20 different uh, screens in in my in my workroom, and I see everything going like. No, I'm lying here, but I do notice that the deck has kind of picked up a little bit, and it's not particularly promising. And I don't understand why Magic Carpet is in the deck, so I made this comment, uh, and that's it. Librum Paladin, this is the way. This is the way, guys. It's gonna be the broom. Yeah. Focus on Liberum Paladin. We'll take that Magic Carpet deck. We'll just push it under the rug. We'll, we'll ignore it. Huh? Sweep it under the rug. Ah. We're going to sweep it under the carpet. Hat. Yes. I like where your head's at. All right. So 
the 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 last class this week that we're talking about is not shaman. So let's talk about shaman. There's a thing, and the deck list is evolving, and it might be like a tier three deck. It might be okay. It's a tier three deck already. You think it might be and better? It might be even better. <gasps> yeah, yeah, it might be even better. Like, I think, I think shaman is back, kind of. Like it's, it's doing okay. It seems promising. The pocket build looks pretty good. We also made some clear improvements to the deck um, this week, which is why I feel like it's it could be very promising in terms of being competitive. I don't expect Totem Shaman to be the best deck or one of the better decks, but I do expect it to be competitive and playable. So if you want to jam Totem Shaman, you can jam it without being a masochist. Um, and yeah, the the clear cuts with like broomstick. I think broomstick is is strong in other classes, but it seems to be pushed a little bit too hard. And beaming psychic is not really a one drop. The thing is, you want playable one drops because you want to just jam things early and reload with voracious reader. Uh, and it helps to have like just strong standalone cards like surging tempest, like sludge slurper that you can just play on curve. Uh, sludge slurper is a good two drop as well. So take that build. It does pretty well. Poket is, is strong. Goliath buff was very meaningful, especially for the Poket build, because you can Goliath into Goliath, which is very, very strong. Um, and the deck does well in some matchups. It's good against Priest. It's good against Druid. It's one of the better decks in the meta against Druid. One of the only decks that have like some semi-reliable way of beating Druid. It's good against Bomb Warrior 2. So, you know, a lot of these decks, people don't enjoy playing against Priest, Warrior, Druid. There are a lot of haters with these classes. So if you happen to hate all of them, you can jam some Shaman. You can jam some Shaman. And Shaman is good. It, like, it's fine. It's competitive looking okay. And I'm pretty confident that these two, these four card changes that we made are going to push the win rate even more. So Shaman is not dead anymore. It's a class. Yeah, and we'll take it there. Now, if we're talking, we're already talking about a questionable list that we see on Twitter. I can win with a mid-range Shaman. You're, if you're listening to this podcast, if you are Ike, big fan of your work. If you're not Ike, don't don't play that deck. Don't play mid-range Shaman. Yeah, I think the Totem Shaman is the most promising uh, direction for the class right now. Um, and it, it's able to leverage the buff pretty well. And I would, uh, I would run that. I even saw some shamans uh, at High Legend over the last week. I saw shamans. Yeah, they exist. There was a run of games like I played like uh, I don't know. Like there was a day I played like jammed like twenty, twenty five games, and I saw like three or four shamans. Like I didn't understand what was going on. Somebody even went twelve wins in the Brazilian with shaman, like a couple of players. So the deck is there. Like it's it's there, it's competitive, and I think uh, it, it merits more attention at least. And as I said, it's not going to be the strongest decks in the meta, or even one of the stronger decks. But it it's fine. It's competitive. It's not dumpster anymore. The buff did its job. Did more than I expected, because we didn't think about Polkit. Yeah, uh, Polkelt is it's amazing that that was considered to be this crazy combo card, and it was like a oh, quest warlock, quest warlock. It's just an aggro card. You just play it and then yeah. just curve out. It just makes you want to make the deck lower curve. And this environment, this expansion, already wants people to make their decks really low curve. 
So it works really well when you just have a specific curve top where you're looking to hit. Because of Voracious Reader, so you, you like Polkin and Voracious Reader have deck building synergy that nobody picked up on before the expansion. You lower the curve, you play your bombs in the, like a few bombs in the mid game, and you play Voracious Reader. So you have reload, you, you can vomit your hand and reload, and then you play Polkin and finish games off. Works really well with Hunter. And now it seems to be working perfectly well in Totem Shaman. So yeah, Polkid is like a great example of a card that people just didn't associate in the proper archetypes uh, that it ended up seeing success, most success with. Like it could still end up being a strong combo card, but so far it just looks like a, like you just top the curve of like a fairly aggressive deck, and you get your bombs. Yeah. That's a card. That's a, that's an application that I didn't think would be so successful. But it seems to be giving a class that was kind of struggling a way out. And we're glad for Shaman. But unfortunately, we do have one more class to talk about. <sighs> Warlock is the new Shaman. There's nothing here. Warlock is the new. Yeah. There is absolutely nothing. Uh, trust me, I searched everywhere. I looked for anything that was... More promising than what already exists. Zoo Warlock is dumpster, like Ripperoni. I mean, it's not like tier five dumpster, but it's tier four. And Galakron Warlock is like okay, but not really okay. Because uh, if you look at the other tier three decks that have higher win rates than Galakron Warlock, they kind of have excuses to why their win rates isn't that vast. Like Priest, for example. Control Priest, I rated more than where it's placed. Um, Cyclone Mage, we all know how strong the deck is. It just has some um, meta hostility causing its win rate to drop. But Yalcom World doesn't really have the excuses. It doesn't have the scope for improvement. And it's pretty low down to Tier 3. And sometimes it falls even harder. So I don't expect to see it being very relevant, and as we said, with the Zoo Warlock looking as weak as it is, Warlock just done. Um, I'm kind of hoping, the, the thing that I'm hoping most, if there's a major patch next week, is some some Warlock buffs. I'd like to see some Warlock buffs. Maybe even a Shaman buff. Maybe we can push, push Totem Shaman even a little bit more, because what I like about both Zoo Warlock and Totem Shaman being parts of the meta is the fact that they can answer Druid. These are two decks that are natural enemies to Druid, and if they're strong, that could be an answer, could provide the meta with a natural answer to Druid. Because right now, Druid is very popular like a top legend. People play it because it's safe. I would like Druid to be a bit of a less safe option. Like So if you run into a lot of Druid, you can punish that by running Totem Shaman or a Zoo Warlock that's actually good. So if we're thinking about uh, nerfing things, maybe we should think about buffing natural counters to Druid as well. So those are my thoughts regarding Warlock, regarding meta developments. No news, unfortunately. How would you even buff it? I have no idea. I'll, I'll trust Team 5 on this to find ways. Because it's difficult. It's difficult to buff Zoo Warlock without causing some issues maybe yeah but i would tweak up like a few cards there are a few cards in the deck that could, you know you could probably tweak up without causing issues in other formats perhaps 
but uh, it's definitely a challenge. And when it comes to slower Warlock decks, it's even a bigger challenge because the problem is not just maybe low baseline power level, but also the the meta hostility. Like in terms of everything being very burn centric, you have Bomb Warrior, Soul Demon Hunter, Face Hunter. That's a problem for slow Warlock decks. I'm not even sure like a, a buff would help. Definitely it would help if you buff things rather than Willow, which was a buff that meant nothing. Like I'm okay with it being buffed, but it didn't have any impact. But maybe you can look at other cards, maybe survivability cards uh, that could help uh, Warlock uh, last a bit longer uh, against these these burn decks. Yeah, uh, the I'm kind of not surprised that the eight mana recruit card wasn't it. Maybe you have to make some of the green demons into purple demons. Maybe you have to bring over the demons from from Demon Hunter. But it's probably just it's not the environment for big demons. You can't, you can't really do that right now. Yeah, and Morag Artificer is critical. Like the thing yeah. is, the big demons don't work well with the Morag Artificer, which is the only the best way for you to gain life in Warlock right now. So. I'm hoping that they buff things that don't interfere with Morag Artifice or Nether Breath. That would give Slow Warlock decks a better chance of being viable and competitive in this meta. So that's Warlock. And now we're, we can finish with a podcast question. Ooh, we've got a question here from, from our supporters. We've got a question here from Leaf. Uh, and the question is, do you prefer innovating new decks and builds or refining existing ones? This expansion cycle, we've been spoiled to have a bit of both from Vicious Syndicate. What do you like more, Zach? I mean, both are equally satisfying. Um, I will say that it's very satisfying that our work is able to impact the meta as much as it can. Like sometimes we just find ways to refine the existing archetypes, and it's very satisfying to see the card, like a card that we suggest, propagate into an archetype and then lead to a win rate increase. One of the most satisfying things uh, in our work. But obviously, if we manage to like create a new archetype, then that w- that's even more amazing. And we've managed to do that a few times. Uh, we've also managed to theorycraft decks that ended up being broken and nerfed within a week, which is a, a good tickle to the ego, <laughs> to the confidence level. Yes. But, uh, but the main thing is that we try to not just analyze the data and present what we have, but also try to proactively build on it and leverage the data into deck building. And that has been quite effective. That has been successful at times. Sometimes it's not going to work every time, right? Sometimes there will be something that in theory looks good uh, based on data, but in practice is not going to be as as impactful. But we do try to look for ways to almost theorcraft and optimize things that we don't have data on or as much data as we would like. For example, the Avenging Wrath is an example of us trying to proactively load a suggestion, load a way uh, that the this Libram Paladin deck could move forward and rise by a, another level. Uh, because if we don't float this idea, if we don't suggest it, we feel that we would never have enough data to confirm whether it's good or not. So sometimes we're kind of stuck in a place where we don't want to suggest something that's super experimental and then, you know, kind of lose some of that trust that we've built over the years. But then again, we also want to push some things because we want to see how they work, whether they work or not. Because if we don't push them, we'll never be able to confirm them uh, with the data that we collect. 
So sometimes we proactively try to refine archetypes. So far, we've, I think we've managed to strike a balance between doing the data analysis and refining existing archetypes and then suggesting things, solutions um, that we see, uh, the problems that we see in decks. Because we cannot, it's not just, we don't just look into a deck and see what cards perform well or not. We also look at the effects that perform well or not. And then sometimes we notice if an effect is missing. For example, Libram Paladin, we notice, we can see it in data, in our analysis, that it needs off-the-board damage. It needs some way to impact matchups outside of the board. And then we kind of look into things, and that's where we got to Avenging Earth. So this process is very fun. It's very satisfying, of course, when it works. And we do try to strike this balance between analyzing and building decks from the data that we have, and then trying to leverage that analysis into suggesting things that are not necessarily in the data. Both are fun and both are satisfying. I can't pick one. They kind of they kind of go well together as well. Yeah, and I think maybe from an external perspective, some of the most energy you put into each uh, to to each meta is right at the beginning when you're crafting those decks for the theory crafting article. That is a very time consuming process, but also sometimes I've seen you do it. You just have an idea and then run off and there's a deck in 10 minutes. And other times, like, can you think of a third hunter deck? No? Me neither. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, theorycrafting, of course, is very difficult. It's very difficult to theorycraft builds and just nail them because nothing replaces like experience of millions of players playing on ladder, like theorycrafting. But if you can, in theorycrafting, manage to figure out ideas, general build, general shells, which I think we've done a pretty good job of, then that's already very, very uh, impactful and very informative. And people love the theorycrafting articles. They're like they're a big hit with the community. And I really, I really appreciate that, that people enjoy and love and look forward to those uh, articles. They always ask before an expansion, is there going to be a theorycrafting article? And, you know, that's satisfying to hear that people are like really looking forward to those. But we do also proactively look to push things. We also did it with full yoink. Like full yoink is not something that was popular enough. We just looked into Kabbalah Light. We saw the potential that it had if it was maximized. Like we, we saw the power level and what it can do. And we wondered if we can abuse it even more. And that's where Lazul's scheme came from. Lazuskin was not a super popular card. It's a bit of play, but we leveraged the data, the analysis, into theorycrafting something that wasn't really there. And the current result is that the full Yoink Priest is now a pretty common build and a very successful one. So we can do that. We can also not just do analysis on the data that we have, but also try to leverage it into building something new. And we try to strike a balance between the two so that you can get consistently reliable decks that we know perform well, but also kind of use some creativity in order to help our consumers, our readers, the followers of Vicious Syndicate think a little bit bigger and think of how to improve things when you don't have data on something. Yeah, and we're lucky to have really dedicated and really intelligent viewers and readers that are willing to pick up these decks that you put in that meta breaker and try them out and give us some feedback, especially in the discord. Uh, it's been pretty active lately of people trying stuff out and it, it's 
it's great to see, and it, it really helps us get an idea as to what's working and what's not. And we can kind of see the growth of Libram Paladin over the past month as a great case study and how it works. Yeah. I can list so many examples of like refinement that we've done that was also helped by the community's feedback and how we, we've managed to just turn good decks into great decks. And that's what we will continue to do uh, in the report, in the podcast, and every content that we produce going forward. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon or just join Vicious Syndicate Gold. You get access to the supporters channel and Discord as well, uh, where you can get Zacco's unfiltered hot takes and an immediate data analysis. You can get uh, early access to the report, and you can get to ask us podcast questions that we might talk about on the show. Next report is currently scheduled for not September 31st, because that's not a thing. I have been informed. Uh, but for October 1st. and Big thanks, of course, to Steven Sensei for the intro and outro. Uh, Zacho, any final words? Yeah, if there are balance changes, we still don't know because there's a major pass next week. We haven't been informed. If there are balance changes, the next week's report will not be published. Uh, it will. The next report will be on October 8th. But there will be a podcast next week, 100%. It will either talk about the next report next week or if there are balance changes, it will talk about the the post-patch meta, the early days of the patch. So look forward to that. Regardless, it will be an interesting podcast to listen to. And we'll see you then. Sounds good, yeah. We will see you all next week. And thank you all so much for tuning in. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.